Are you looking for inspiration and words of wisdom so you can go out and launch your own business? This is the Lost and Founded podcast, bringing you raw and relatable stories of successful entrepreneurs, committed startups and personal experiences that are here to inspire, inform and influence. My name is Nicola. And my name is Molly. In this season of the Lost and Founded podcast, we are spotlighting entrepreneurs with a purposeful business, highlighting their personal journey and recognizing the value which they create through their business. In today's episode, we'll be speaking with Anita Madhavan, founder of Talking Cranes. Anita is a leadership coach, diversity and inclusion leader and business executive. She has 30 years of experience in business, working in senior roles across the UK, India and the US. She co-founded Talking Cranes with her business partner, Haima Menef, an anti-racist results-based accountability practitioner in 2012. Anita is passionate about advancing women into leadership, building strong, inclusive workplaces around the world. She supported and developed over 1,500 women through the Talking Cranes on-site workshops and online platform. She completed an MBA at Ohio University, which contributed to obtaining a strong business orientation. Welcome, Anita. It's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. How are you doing today? Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to this podcast. And I'm very well. It's a lovely morning. So I feel, you know, happy and awake. Yeah, it's beautiful. How are you both doing? Doing good. Thank you very much. Yes, I'm also enjoying the sunshine. Um, can you tell us a bit, little bit more about Talking Cranes and what your typical daily routine consists of? Oh, yes. Happy to do that. Um, so we co-founded Talking Cranes, you, you said 2012, that was sort of a beta version. We launched the official version in 2014. Um, Talking Cranes works with companies to retain, develop, and advance diverse talent, which then leads to organizations becoming stronger and more successful. And we do this in a variety of ways. Uh, we work uh, with the leaderships, um, with the leadership of the company. We hold strategic sessions with them, conversations um, that around diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, to get an understanding of where they are and where they want to get to. And then we conduct leadership programs, um, DEI programs, which very much focused on racial equity. Um, and um, I also do one-on-one -on -one coaching uh, as um, as you said, you know, in the introduction, I am an accredited leadership coach and I work with individuals to support them to realize their leadership goals and ambitions, and which often includes um, a diversity, equity and inclusion segment as well. So that's what we do at Talking Cranes. About my typical day, there's no typical day. <laughs> Since my um, audience and, you know, the people I work with um, uh, are across the globe, um, I, my, my, my timings are all over the place. So if I'm working with India, it's you know, very early in the morning. If I'm working um, with clients on the West Coast or even with my business partner, who's actually based in, the, on the, in California, then it's very late in the evening. Um, it could be late afternoon to any time, you know, um, late evening as well. So it's all over the place. Um, so I'd really try and get, you know, um, some exercise in the middle of the day to keep uh, my energy and productivity levels high, <laughs> um, I get my 10,000 steps in um, as much as I can <laughs> on a daily basis. So that's, you know, that's really important part of my day. Does that answer your question? Yes, that does. Thank you very much. So following on from the theme of this season, how would you define what a purposeful business is to you? And of course, just go into talking about what makes Talking Cranes one, please. 
Yeah, that's such an interesting question. And it's something that's been talked about and debated in organizations, especially in, over the last two years, since George Floyd's murder, the Black Lives Matter movement, and the pandemic has really driven this conversation to another level, I think. Um, you know, all these years we've talked about vision, mission, strategy, CSR, uh, ESG, um, and all of them have, you know, have their place. Um, but purpose, I think, is, is much more about a lasting and meaningful reason for an organization to exist. And it has to align with long-term financial performance. That's really important because otherwise we'll be without jobs, right? Um, it's a company is not financial, financially successful. And it also has to provide a context for stakeholders within the company to make decisions on a daily basis. And it has to motivate and unify the workforce. To me, those are the core principles of purpose. You know, it was interesting. We are hosting a, um, going to host a Ukrainian family in the near future. Hopefully they'll arrive soon. But we were looking into airfares um, and because they're going to be, you know, flying from Poland to, to the UK. And I noticed that Wizz Air is providing really very low fares. Um, in fact, all through March, they provided 100,000 free seats for Ukrainians fleeing, um, you know, fleeing the crisis in Ukraine. Um, so I started to think about what is their purpose? Um, you know, what is, the, what, what is their stated purpose? And so their vision or purpose is stated as being committed to making sure that everyone everywhere can benefit at the lowest possible prices uh, and be able to travel at the lowest possible prices and to set high benchmarks in safety and reliability. So that's their stated purpose. They were able to deliver strategy and live to their vision and mission to this purpose by providing you know, um, low fares as well as free fares to, to refugees who were fleeing the, uh, fleeing the crisis in Ukraine. And the CEO said, we are happy to provide a safe and welcoming journey for refugees. That I think is what purpose is about because it guides your activities, you know, through your day and year. And it allows stakeholders to feel that they are contributing to a higher mission. That's really an important part of purpose. It's very, it's, 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 it's a very much a core part of the business. Does that um, sort of give you a sense of what I think is, is purpose? Yeah, absolutely. That's beautiful. Thank you. Can you talk to us about what motivated you to start up Talking Cranes and tell us a little bit more about your career before you became a co-founder? So I've had a 30-year career, as, um, as you said in the introduction. I've worked across different geographies. Um, I've, you know, I was born and raised in India and my first career launched there. And then I moved to the US as a, as a graduate student and, and worked there. And then I moved to the UK, um, you know, about 25, 28 years ago. Um, I've built businesses from the ground up, worked in senior leadership positions, and I've worked um, across industries. 
Um, the last two uh, being technology and, and publishing. Um, just before I started uh, talking cranes, I worked in the publishing industry um, and it was very much at the intersection of business development, sales and technology. Because when I started working in publishing, it was still very much about the print media. And my role was actually to help them move to the dig digital age. So, so it has been very much about business development, sales, leading on that front, but also on, on, the, on the technology front. So that's, that's, um, that, that's what I did you know, before, before I launched Up and Trains. Amazing. That's a nice, well, completely different career to have. So like you quickly mentioned earlier, diversity and inclusion is something that become a lot more, there's a great awareness for them these days. And we know how important it is to have diversity and inclusion. But can you tell us why it's important to you and how businesses can actually benefit from making diversity and inclusion part of their culture and actually having a better emphasis on it? Yeah, sure. Um, you know, embracing diversity building equity and in inculcating a culture of inclusion um, helps open up our minds to change innovation and creativity. And that will help us solve some of the greatest challenges that are facing our planet today. I mean, there's no argument, right, at, uh, ethically and morally that we should be looking at our workplaces through a DEI lens, diversity, equity, and inclusion lens. But it's also critical as for a business, if it wants to succeed, to have a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive workplace. There's been so much research and studies done on this subject over the last decade. And you know, studies that have shown that gender diverse companies outperform their peers by 25%. And for ethnically diverse companies, that um, increases to by increases to 36%. Another report that I looked at said that DEI companies um, are, or rather companies that have um, a diverse and um, equitable and inclusive workforce actually assess their consumer interest um, and demand uh, by, you know, by, they assess it by an increased uh, level of 37.9% and increase creativity by 59.1%. They also reduce risk by 30%. You know they avoid groupthink basically. So, um, so altogether, there's a there's tons of um, research to show that DEI is also a um, important for a business, uh, for you know to, to succeed as a business. It's not just the right thing and good thing to do, which is which is hugely important, but it's also good for business. Thank you. Is that good? Yeah, that was that was great. I think um, we all like a lot of our audience will know that DNI is obviously important, but many of them might not have heard those statistics. So thank you for that. That was great. Since Talking Cranes is based in the UK, India, and the USA, how do you manage the businesses across these locations, and what's it like to have a global audience? I know you touched on this slightly earlier, but we'd love to hear more. Yeah, it's um, it's fascinating working with a global audience. Um, and before the pandemic, we traveled a lot, serving our customer bases, you know, across um, across the globe. But clearly, things have changed over the last <laughs> two and a half years. 
we've you know we've, we've started to do a lot of um, deliver a lot of our programs online and it's working it's working every you know really well just as we know it has you know it has worked very well for most people who have worked from home after the initial starting starting problems um it's um, fascinating working in different geographies and with different cultures um often we work with the same company for instance visa is one of was one of our is one of our big clients and they have operations all across the world and they chose us because um because of the um because of who we are where we come from and the fact that we can bring um a cultural nuance to the programs we deliver based on the geography we are in um well the challenges and problems that people have are not that different across the world it's it's those cultural nuances that have to be always factored in for instance when we are talking um, about diversity equity and inclusion here in the uk or in the us it is often in the context of the dominant white group in relation to minority groups such as the black community or the asian community but if you're working in india it's about caste it's um, it's about the dominant caste versus the you know versus the caste that is you know lower down the scale as far as the socio economic um uh, socio economic factors go so our expertise lying lies in being able to facilitate conversations taking into account all these cultural norms amazing i think that's something really important that you brought up cuz a lot of entrepreneurs are always think you know i want to expand i want to be global just to have that sort of title but something just like understanding the cultural nuances like you've mentioned is something that you always need to take into consideration if you are going to actually be expanding outside of whichever country you start your business from so and obviously i'm sure you have somewhat a big team behind talking cranes so can you tell us what does the team currently look like and what sort of expertise or training do you actually need for someone to work in a diversity and inclusion firm uh it's interesting you say that we must have a big firm, you know a big team working behind talking cranes given that we're working globally but actually the business model is quite different um we're a very small um you know a team um and we work we partner and work with uh, subject matter experts and leaders across the globe so we have a fantastic ecosystem of people that we work with and based on our assessment of the company's needs or the you know or the needs of the client we're working with we invite our partner experts to join our sessions um so that's that's really how um how we've worked for the last 10 or 12 years and it's worked beautifully um it's um you know and 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 it it's it's kind of a quick um a quick pro quo because they invite us to their programs as well when they uh, see the need for somebody with our expertise to be brought in what do you need to work in a dei company um or in a dei environment well commitment and the desire to make and see change that is absolutely critical and it's not an easy business to be in it takes a huge amount of persistent effort to bring clients on board and there's always pushback because people don't like discomfort and the topics we raise are very very uncomfortable so um so you need to have grit and energy to stay in the business and you have to commit to and enjoy continuous learning you've got to keep on top of the subject through courses coaching conferences 
And we got into this business because of our, our experience. Uh, when we were working um, you know, in, in, um, as, as senior leaders within the industry we were in, we'd go to conferences, meetings, and find that the more senior we got, the fewer women we came across. Um, you know, we'd go into these meetings and they were mostly men and white men. Um, so we started to think, why, uh, why is it that there are so few women, um, even though uh, women have been active in the workforce for the last 50 years, there have been tons of leadership programs, why is, that, why is it that we don't meet these women when we are actually you know, in, in, in meetings? And that's why we did our research and found that women get stuck sort of in middle management. Um, they, you know, we, we recruit women in large numbers um, they rise through, you know, from individual contributors to the first step in management. And then because of the culture of the organization, because of what's happening in their personal and professional lives, they find it very difficult to take that next step up. And so we focused on, you know, on, the, on, on that particular group in order to advance their ambitions and careers. And women are ambitious. There is absolutely no doubt about it. Uh, and we found that in bucket loads. It's just that the culture has not supported them. So it was a matter of actually doing work with them on one hand and with the culture within the organization to support them. That was a big part of our focus early uh, in the early part of Talking Cranes. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Um, in terms of gaining access to funding, it's something a lot of entrepreneurs find challenging. But do you have any advice for our listeners of those in search of business funding? Funding. <laughs> as, a, as a female entrepreneur, it is mm. really difficult to come by. As a woman of color, even more difficult. And then a, a woman of color with gray hair, the toughest, I think, <laughs> as you can tell from my gray hair. <laughs> um, and finding funding is all consuming. So it's very difficult as a startup when you're focusing on getting the business off the ground to also have the time to devote to funding, but it's critical if you if you want to develop the product as you as you envision. Um, I think you have to be prepared to put yourself out there and network strategically with intent, and then leverage those networks to get introductions to the right people. That's what you know we've we've sort we've sort of found in our in our entrepreneurial journey. And then you have to really prepare for these meetings. Um, we found a coach who had worked um, uh, with people preparing them um, for funding opportunities. So we spent uh, um, you know, quite a bit of time with her, uh, helping, getting her help and support in building out our case. Um, and so that was, that was also really critical. And then don't be afraid to, to do the ask. It, that is really important to have the courage and the commitment to believe in your vision and do the ask. As they say, you know, your network is your net worth. So to me, that that's a really important part of the whole funding process. Amazing. Thank you. And obviously, as every entrepreneur, every, well, everybody in life, you go through your journey, you make mistakes, you learn from them. What are some of the biggest obstacles that you have personally had to face and that you've actually learned from and they benefited you where, you know, you're able to progress through them? Because some people have something go wrong and they kind of get a bit stuck, but what are some of the things that you've overcome and how did you manage to rise above them and move forward? You know, I, I think uh, in the early years, we dissipated our energies 
um, in implementing our ideas, idea in different parts of the world. So we were, and this was something somebody had advised us on, which we did not pay attention to. Um, I remember being told, you know, it would serve us much better to build and market the idea in one geography, make it successful there, and then, and then roll it across um, um, to different parts of the world. And then you're able to then focus on that geography, figure out what the cultural nuances are, what you need to do to adapt, et cetera. Um, that was something we did not take on board right at the beginning. We, we dissipated our energies. And then we learned from it and, and, and started to become much more focused. So that change, um, you know, that was something we learned a hard lesson from not following advice and, and then, you know, re, refocusing our efforts. Okay, I think this question actually links a lot to an entrepreneur's journey of, of learning from their mistakes and moving on. Um, talking Cranes is all about educating people and harnessing positive change. Um, does this mean you're constantly learning and updating the various frameworks available to your clients? Absolutely. We are constantly learning and developing new courses, new, con uh, new content, and new frameworks. For, you know, if you take an example of our um, racial equity program, um, that was that something that came out of Haima, my business partner, spending a couple of years um, at the city of San Jose in California, um, as a uh, FUSE fellow, um, developing a racial equity framework for them. And um, we've done so much work um, around equity and inclusion. And being women of color, we worked a lot with other women of color as well. So that was always a big part of, of the work we did. Um, so looking at things through the racial equity lens was an interesting development for us. Um, so the work that she did, which was largely with government, um, you know, having worked with the city of San Jose, we adopt, we adapted that um, for a business environment. Um, so the program that we then built out over the last two years and which we're delivering now is um, very much based on an acclaimed GARE framework of racial equity, but we've adapted it for um, for businesses, for academia, and for nonprofits. Um, so as far as the government, you know, with, with the government program, it was much more intense, much more detailed. This, we've taken a segment of it and adapted it, which makes it useful uh, for businesses to come to grips about how they can look at, look at their workforce and look at what their commitment to racial equity might be and how they can bridge, bridge the gap. So yes, learning, um, uh, you know, um, developing new courses and new content is, is, as I said, a huge part of what we do. Amazing. Now, since you have been, or previously been a marketing and business development lead, I'm sure in some way those experiences come in handy when looking at the marketing for talking cranes. What is your actual current approach for marketing for talking cranes? You know, yes, I do have a very strong business orientation. I've built businesses from the ground up, um, you know, in the US and in the UK, in UK. And I have a lot of experience with um, product and business development. And that kind of allows me to speak the language, business language of various functional groups um, within an organization. So when I'm having a discussion 
uh, around DEI, it helps that I can um, that I can link it in to you know KPIs and indicators that um, outcomes that companies are looking at to achieving that they invest in programs. Um, I'm also a firm believer in outcomes. We are as a company. So all, you know, although some of the some of the work we do, it's very hard to measure for success. And what do you define by success when you're talking about racial equity, for instance, right? But we understand that um, that businesses need to know um, after having made the investment what they might be hoping the outcome to you know what what they might what they feel they are, what they need to understand is what the outcome might outcome might look like at the end of the course so helping them actually navigate that part of the process is is important for us so so i think it helps that i have a business background um, when i'm talking about um, diversity equity and inclusion which people sometimes find very hard to get their heads around that's really good um, this section kind of leads more onto about you. Um, so, uh, can you... <laughs> yeah, can you tell us a little bit more about your support system? Yes, I can. You know, um, it's interesting. It's quite hard work, this, um, because it takes a lot out of you uh, when you're conducting these sessions. And um, some of the, some of the conversations we have um, can be quite hard. So it's really important um, that I look after myself as well. And as I said, you know, the exercise is a big part of it, um, getting out and walking um, and just not taking any, my phone with me or being distracted in any way, um, you know, just, just walking and thinking is, is really helpful. Um, so that's that's a big part of, of my routine. Um, the other is I have a community um, that I meet with very regularly. Uh, people that who are in a you know who do similar work, um, and we discuss <laughs> what works, what doesn't work, what our challenges are, you know, bounce ideas off each other, and um, and if something if there's something really troubling me, I know that I can I can call on this community have a conversation. So we meet as a group, we meet you know, individually as well. Um, so that's, that's a big part um, of sort of my um, support network, I should say. Okay, amazing. And you also talked briefly about how important it is to try and get your steps and all of that, which I personally relate to, because otherwise it's so easy to just stay at home and stay on a screen or a computer. And coming on with this, you know, some people really struggle to balance between work and life, you know, trying to find your social life and work and separating those. And how do you, well, how important is this to you and how do you actually manage to achieve a work-life balance? So much talked about, right? Work-life balance. <laughs> We're yep, all constantly <laughs> trying to discover that magic formula that will, <laughs> that will make our lives better. <laughs> I know. Um, you know, I, I think it's about finding um, fulfillment and contentment. I don't, I think it's really hard to get the balance. It's, it's like an ongoing pursuit. It's not something you arrive at magically, right? 
that you work eight or 10 hours or whatever it is you work and then you come back home and then, and then you switch off and you're completely committed to at home. Things change all the time. Sometimes work takes over. Sometimes, you know, work takes a back, you know, goes on the back burner because it's something that you have to deal with, you know, with your family. So it, it feels like it's always a balance. It's, it's always such sort of trying, trying not to find so much a balance as trying to be content and fulfilled. So when you're so you're able to give attention to whichever sector needs more attention at a, any given time, right, and not feel stressed about it. So to be fully present when you are home um, with your family, uh, and not to bring the stresses uh, of work, you know, to in the evening back home, and likewise to try and be as committed as possible the time that you spend at work. So you know that is the balance that I think that we've got to sort of strive for. For me, it's a little bit easier now because uh, my children are grown up, they've left home. Um, and so, uh, and given the way I work, I, I'm actually fine, I, I really like my schedule. It's, you know, I know it's kind of all over the place and I work evening sometimes and early morning sometimes and I get time off during in the middle of the day, but it works for me really well. I, I've been doing this for many years um, and it's, it, as far as, so I feel, you know, fairly fulfilled and content. And I think it's a good state to be in. Yeah, you're right. It is a goal that we all desperately strive for, but it sounds like you're getting there. You may have even achieved it. Um, so if you could meet one famous individual, alive or dead, who would you pick and why? It's a tricky one, I think. Ah, you know, I that's an interesting question again because I was thinking about one person. I would want a group of people around my dinner table. I'm a very keen reader. I read tons. I'm a member of I'm a member of two book groups, um, and I would like to invite. Let's think. Five authors to my um, to dinner in my house. And they would be, and they're a diverse group of writers um, from across the world. Um, the, uh, so in no particular order, I'm just you know, mentioning their names. Um, David Olusoga, have you heard of him? He's a professor of, um, uh, of history at Manchester University. He is a historian, um, TV presenter, um, he is, I'm reading, I'm, I dip in and out of his um, tomb of a book called Black and British of Forgotten History. Amazing. Um, it's well worth all of us reading it. Uh, it gives us a different perspective um, on this country's history, which is really um, very good. Um, Andrei Kurkov, he's a Ukrainian writer um, and I have been reading him recently. And that's been fascinating to get an understanding of the history and politics um, of the country. Bernadine Avaristo, uh, she won the Booker, well, she won half the Booker, should I say. <laughs> she shared it with uh, Margaret Atwood a couple of years ago. She wrote the book, um, Girl, Woman, Another. And that's what she got the Booker for. She's amazing. Um, Amitav Ghosh, an Indian writer, um, I'm reading actually his book, Climate Derangement right now, and it's about the climate crisis. I think it would be great to have all of these people 
around with my table to discuss politics, climate crisis, the world, um, and their view of it. Okay, fair enough. We'll let you have, you know, the, a lot of people <laughs> at the dinner table. We'll allow it this time, okay? <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. No problem. Um, so, what is one piece of wisdom that you could share with our listeners, especially for those who, like I said, me, you know, are aware of the importance of diversity and inclusion in the workplace, but they just don't know how to make it a focus on their company or within their business environment? What advice would you give them? I think the single most important thing for any DEI initiative is to work, is to get the commitment from top leadership. If they are not invested in DEI, then it's, it's not going to be taken as a serious initiative and to be just a box ticking exercise. So that is the single most important thing to get that buy-in. Um, it's also important to look at your business and see where you are um, and what you stand for, where you are and where you want to get to. And so do your data collection and analysis rather than jumping right in enthusiastically without thinking things through. So that's really important. And I think it's also important to reach out to experts in the field who can help you navigate the journey. I'm happy for you both to share my contact details, Nicola and Molly, if people would like to reach out to me. So yeah, I, I, I think these are the three things that I, you asked for one, I've, I've given you three. <laughs> I don't seem to be able to do one. <laughs> That's fine, no. I will allow it again. It's fine, Molly, I'm good with it. <laughs> Thank you. Especially since I feel like our readers now, our listeners even, have a reading list now, which is great. <laughs> Um, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us, Anita. It's been such a pleasure to have you on season three of the Lost and Found It podcast. Where can our audience find out more about yourself and Talking Cranes to see what's next in store for you? And obviously, if they need any more details, we'll be happy to share them. Great. Thank you very much for inviting me. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and then you can look at my website, um, www.talkingcranes.com. Um, and I will leave it with you to sort of share my email and I'm happy for, for that to happen so people can reach me if they wish to. Thank you so much. Thanks, Anita. Well, thank you. <laughs> bye bye. Bye. Have a lovely day. You too. Bye. This has been the Lost and Founded podcast. If you liked this episode, make sure to head over to Instagram and let us know how you found it at Lost and Founded Pod. Wherever you listen to your podcast, be sure to follow and be notified about more inspiring stories and experiences. 